Hey guys, welcome back to another episode here with Gravel Hall Stories. And we just come off the back of the recording with Samuel. And Ian, I have to say, si finally a Samuel, which is not a psychopath. <laughs> if, you <think> of, yeah, <laughs> if you think of the FTX guy and the OpenAI guy. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, no, no comment there. Not. That's what he should have done, no comment. <laughs> anyway, we just uh, we just got a fight, Gerald, you said, with Samuel. He's... Uh, um, developing the hardware wallet uh, with Zelox and um, he's got some really cool features mm -hmm. coming up with that as well so, so he's very forward thinking um, I'm not very technically minded uh, like Joel is but um, I learned a lot from the episode so I think you guys will too um, Joel what, what sort of stuff did you take away? I think what's really great in this episode is we often read common myth on Twitter X whatever you want to call it and there's more to the story just because someone states they're open source doesn't actually mean that it's a good thing. Um, just because um, a hardware wallet exists that has been attacked previously, it doesn't mean that it offers a bad service. So like all of these things, he really gave good examples, I think, for, I, I, I did the math, he's between 21 and 23. So um, yeah. amazing to see such a, a forward thinking um, approach in his age. And I think it's a good episode for everyone who's looking forward to seeing the technical possibilities with Bitcoin in, let's say, the next 10 years. Yeah, I agree with that, 100%. And guys, if you think there's any value in this episode, please uh, look at the QR codes below and uh, ping us some zap, uh, zaps, zap us some sats if you feel there's any value to this episode. So we'll dive down this rabbit hole with Samuel, so enjoy. Welcome back to yet another episode of Rabbit Hole Stories. Here we have Samuel with us today uh, from Zelox, and it's all about, uh, I think you work in the whole realm of self-custody and how important that is for, for people to take self-custody of their own Bitcoin. Um, and there's a lot of talk at the moment in, in the news about uh, potential... Um, exchanges potentially trying to work with government agencies and things like that so maybe we can sort of delve into a little bit about that if you've got some insight i'm, I'm quite intrigued because there's quite a lot of discussion going on in the ecosystem about the impact of that as well but the whole premise of our show as you you know already samuel is your rabbit hole story so i think if we strip it right back to the beginning for you at the beginning of your journey and we can sort of progress into that kind of discussion later on so i think we'll just kick off with what is your Bitcoin origin story, Samuel? Sure. It's a pleasure to be here, guys. Um, I'm, I'm sort of of the generation that uh, doesn't really know when they found out about Bitcoin. It doesn't know, you know, the first time when you uh, read about it on the news or whatever. But uh, the first time I do remember uh, hearing about Bitcoin and, and sort of getting interested was in, in 2013. Um, I was... I think it was 11, 12 years old at the time. It was um, it was right after Silk Road fell, actually, because I was I, I was reading the news or, or watching the news, and I heard about about Silk Road and uh, Ross Ulbricht and, and the whole fiasco that went down there, and that's when I also heard about Bitcoin. You know, this uh, crazy internet currency that was being used uh, to transact on this uh, uh, illegal dark web. And uh, to be completely honest, uh, it wasn't Bitcoin that uh, caught my attention there. It was more the, the, the dark, deep website of things. Like there's, a, there's an internet sort of below the surface that uh, you can't really access uh, with the conventional tools. And um, yeah, but, but that's, when I, that's when I heard about Bitcoin. And, and obviously, I, 
I, I started studying it kind of um, educating my young brain about what was what was sort of going on there um, I was I was always interested in technology but my parents are, are a bit of ludites they they uh, I wouldn't say they hate technology but um, they're not the, the most uh, most interested in it so so to say but um um, I, I was fortunate enough to to grow up in Finland, um, a country that has a, a long history in, in technology, and uh, yeah, I. Um, but yeah, uh, back to when when I sort of first understood Bitcoin, and um, when I when I first really dove into the rabbit hole, I, I'd say that was uh, 2017, 2018, around those times. <clears throat> I was again. Uh, more more on the dark web side of things um i was uh, just coming of age i was 15 16 years old and i uh just like my friends wanted to go out party uh, buy some drinks um and uh most of my friends had older siblings they could just get their borrow their id but i don't or i do but but they look nothing like me so <laughs> i was out of luck my older older siblings are sisters so uh out of luck there so I had to find a way to uh, to get a fake ID, and that's when I got uh, got in touch with Bitcoin again, and uh, actually bought myself a fake ID. I don't know if I should be saying this, but whatever. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> mate, we, we we all did that. Yeah, <laughs> I remember. Sorry to digress. No I, I remember back in the day, and I'm a lot older than you are, so technology was a little bit. Information technology was kind of new, so I used to get on the school computer <laughs> during lunch break and get on the old Word document and try and sort of type out a name, um, fake some ID, and laminate it with a little photograph from a passport. And mate, it was um, an operation. I didn't really get into many nightclubs <laughs> with the ID, um, but as technology <laughs> as technology evolved, it became more convincing. But anyway, I just wanted to share that with you. Carry on, Samuel. <laughs> yeah, so I, I think all my dad was actually telling me uh, a while back about how he did it. He's seventy years old. Seventy years old. He's he's much older, but um, he said that back back in the day, uh, you could just you could just get assigned uh, assigned something from from the police uh, that you could then take to uh, to the passport photographer, and the thing was, you could just give this signed document to any of your friends. So you could basically just get a signed uh, passport thing from the police, give it to your friend, and your friend could just go take a picture, and then you, you would get a valid uh, valid ID with with the wrong photo. But yeah, times change, and and I had to uh, I had to get mine from the dark web, and that's when I uh, I uh, really bought my first Bitcoin, uh, did my first Bitcoin transactions, and. Um, yeah, it, it worked out fine. I, I got into the clubs, never, never had an issue with that. Uh, so, so that was cool. And then uh, after that, I, I I lived a year in Argentina from uh, 2019 to 2020. So that was really like an eye-opening experience. Obviously, I knew about Bitcoin. I, I studied Bitcoin. I, I knew the I knew the like basics around the technology and how it works, and some of the philosophical aspects as well. But um, that was that was really the year when I I got it. Like that's that's when I I truly got it. Like this is uh, world changing, and this is going to be huge. And um, yeah, when when I got back from Argentina, I, I sort of wanted to uh, I wanted to do something, 
because uh, I don't know, I feel like many people in, in my generation now, they're, they're sort of more complaining about stuff that's going on, but they don't really, I, I don't see a lot of people doing anything about it. Like, like most, most of the people I know are, are just, um, they're just really thinking about these things and, and talking about them and really complaining, but but not really doing anything anything about it. And that kind of bothered me. I, I wanted to uh, be in the group that that actually changes stuff, not just talks about how we should change change stuff. Uh, so um, I founded Zellox. Uh, originally, what we did was uh, the, the goal from the beginning was to build a hardware wallet. Like that was the ultimate goal. I thought. Okay, Bitcoin is um, it's decentralized, but why is it decentralized? Well, obviously, have the nodes, the, the mining infrastructure, and whatnot. But but ultimately, it really comes down to uh, really self custody. Like if if all all the Bitcoins in the world were held at Coinbase or Binance, that's not a decentralized system at all. Like that's that's a completely centralized system. So I figured. Um, I kind of thought that wallets would would be to Bitcoin what like the the browsers and search engines were for for the internet like really the the most crucial part like that's it's it's a currency like what are you gonna what what do you need to to uh, transact in currency you need you need wallets and I I thought that hardware wallets were really kind of um, I'd want to say that they were. Um, maybe lagging behind um, sort of what what uh, could be possible because because I, I looked at the market and I saw a bunch of uh, a bunch of hardware wallets which were basically just being used as like storage devices and obviously I, I, I realized that that bitcoiners tell, telling bitcoiners hey take your hardware wallet Put it in your pocket and, and walk out on the street is not anything that that people would uh, respond well to. But what I, what I did with my friends and family originally was I got a hardware wallet, I got a treasure, I generated their seeds, or I let them generate the seeds, and I factory reset at the device. Now they had their own seed in their own self custody, but they never had to buy a hardware wallet. So that really got me thinking, like, okay, when they generate the seed and they factory reset the device now the wallet is just now it can just be a wallet right it they've got their bitcoin in self-custody they've got the words written down like what can you use the wallet for now and i i thought that okay let's say people uh follow the the bitcoin mantra of okay have like 90 percent of your funds in in cold storage and 10 percent in, in in a hot wallet well, over time, that's gonna that's gonna lead to a situation where ten percent of the funds are just vulnerable, basically. And um, I got really deep into like cybersecurity stuff, like Pegasus, uh, this uh, uh, this uh, spyware software, basically a, a full on malware uh, system that can it's it's a zero zero click uh, software system that could basically just infect um, any device by just sending it data and it doesn't even have to pop up as a message for for anyone in the um uh, uh manchester area there are a couple of councils who had a hacker 
well, they call it a hacker, who sent out um, iMessages to every Apple user in the council. And they later found out that it was actually a rogue operative in the uh, police force, in the cybersecurity force. So that's a pretty scary software for them to own. Yeah, and I, and I thought that, okay, it's, it's just going to be a matter of time before this, this software leaks. And I also thought that it's, uh, well, basically, general purpose computers like what, we, what we're using now, like laptops, smartphones, smartwatches, and in the future, I think we're going to be using some sort of mixed reality headset. These are all vulnerable because they are general purpose, because they, they draw most of their utility from the apps that you can download, like third-party apps that can be downloaded onto the device. Like my smartphone would be nothing without the, the third-party apps that I have downloaded on it. Like it would, I wouldn't want my smartphone if, if I can download third-party apps, but that's also the problem. So uh, it would literally just be a phone. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what it's supposed I, to be, right? <laughs> exactly. Which is not bad either. I mean, I'm not, I'm not against smartphones that uh, are not as addictive. But uh, anyway, I, I, I thought that storing storing a decentralized currency on, on general purpose computers will sooner or later become, well, not, not a good idea because, because well, let, let's, ju let's just play, play with, with a thought. Like if, if you give, or if Pegasus leaks and, and you give malware like this to, to an AI, and just tell the AI, like in, infect as many devices as you possibly can. It's the, the biggest problem is like the, the manual work, right? You need to find the devices, you need to find the person you're trying to target and you need to send, send the data to them through, through the, uh, the internet. But um, if you could give this to, to an entity that can just execute like this, that, that doesn't get tired, has, has an unlimited, basically, can can do the can do it for as long as they they have power and have internet it's it's going to be a problematic situation right and and let's say people store as little as 10 bucks in their hot wallets okay it's it's not a big deal if 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 you lose 10 bucks right but what if 10 million people lose 10 bucks now we're sort of now now we have a problem right it's not it's not an individual problem but it's it's a problem for the for the system so i thought okay we should we should be able to uh to bring this spending thing to to hardware wallets as well where hardware wallets could actually be used as transactional devices right like wallets really should be and um i thought that the the main problem there was obviously the the perception that people have, but also the user experience, the the sort of what what hardware wallets are built for today. So so I decided that, that we should build a hardware wallet that's um, that's usable, sort of competing with Apple, Google Pay uh, type that that type of experience. And um, and I thought it it would be uh, would be a long road to walk, but but eventually we would get there because um, yeah, I, I think smartphones. Like I said, they're just general purpose computers, but, but they're also the main, uh, the main uh, mobile device that we carry around with us every day. Uh, but this, this main mobile device has changed over the years. It used to be an, an iPod, it used to be an MP3 player. Uh, it's, it's just a form factor or wallets occupy that same form factor. And I thought that once, once smartphones start moving more towards these uh, 
these headset type of devices that would free up uh, a device like um, like a hardware wallet in our pocket that we could carry. And it could it would sort of become uh, the hub uh, for our digital property and identity. Uh, basically, you, you store all your critical data offline. Um, and also because because it's it, it occupies the same form factor as a smartphone, but but it has 70% less components, the battery life is incredible. Like the battery life can be months. And you can also use it to to charge your other devices, which obviously a headset will have very limited battery at first. Um, so so that was sort of the uh, the vision from the beginning and, and what we started building towards. Um, but yeah, sorry, that's a bit of a rumble, but yeah. Mate, that's, that's deep and fascinating stuff. And I, sometimes I worry, like, because I'm not that technically uh, minded, uh, maybe it's a generational thing, but um something i always get concerned about is if my phone's ready for an update and it always says like oh my my, my privacy um like my device's privacy uh stuff has been revised and updated and click here to confirm update these things and stuff you just don't know what they're actually updating what things they're changing behind the scenes and how sort of secure they're making it or what they're locking you out of and you know, I think we should really sort of consider um, using these sort of third-party devices that are ultimately sort of controlled by centralized um, companies um, who are carrying out um, some um, actions based on uh, legislation or um, things that government want to put in um, that they have to comply with. And uh, it's, 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 it's something that we really need to start taking seriously, particularly um, as we're moving into a world towards CBDCs, the civil unrest, uh, people are being sort of silenced and debased and um, deplatformed, sorry, and demonetized. So it's a scary time um, at the moment out there in, in the internet. And um, do you have any kind of sort of vision in the future of how we can overcome that and is there anything you guys are doing or have anything in mind that we can sort of work towards yeah i, I think a big big issue is um the digital identity question right like like how does that work how how, how is that going to be in the future and i think obviously the more authoritarian types are, are driving for uh something similar that that you have in china right um sort of complete um, authoritarian top-down controlled uh, digital identity where you uh, basically um, well give up everything to the government and and uh, give them access to everything uh, and yeah uh, something something similar would also be uh, worldcoin uh, which sam altman is working working on uh, which is kind of like the centralized database of uh, biometric data that that you use to to prove a digital identity. And obviously, uh, obviously, the, the digital identity question is is a big big question, and it's a big problem uh, because there there's always a balance, right? You kind of the, the internet we're kind of used to is um, an internet where you can say whatever you want, you can mm -hmm. do whatever you want because you have no accountability because you can just create another email address and just uh, another account and say the same thing all over if you get banned. So uh, I, I like th there's a, there's an internal fight within me sort of uh, about, mm. we don't want this authoritarian uh, future where we give up our data to a single party, but maybe we also don't want this 
like, um, how would I say, unaccountable internet where anyone can just do whatever. Like the internet not being a serious place, right? You can't, you can't do any serious, uh, you can't have a serious conversation online. You can't trust anything you see online. Uh, no one has no accountability over what they're saying or doing online. Like that's also, that's the flip flip side of things. Mm. And, and what me personally and what we're working for and what, what we're trying to do is uh, something that's, that's known as a self-sovereign digital identity, which is um, a digital identity that you basically decide yourself. Uh, you don't have to link it to uh, your government ID. Like what, it, what, what even is an ID? Like an, an ID is mm -hmm. just like a, it's, it's a name, right? It's just a name you assign to someone like it's, like that's the, the fundamental thing of an identity is just an identifier. So you can just yep. have text that you can like identify someone on the basis of. So we think that, that uh, a digital identity should be something the person creates themselves. Um, and, and it can be whatever your digital identity can be um, your name, but your digital identity can also be an alias or, you know, it's, it's up to you. Uh, and, and then the question becomes like, okay, how do we ensure if, if we don't link it to a, um, if we don't link it to a third party uh, issued like identity document, like, like what's issued by the government, how can we be sure that uh, a single person doesn't uh, generate multiple identities? Well, the, the first, the first um, thing you can do is, okay, you, you, uh, you create like a, a, a cost of entry, right? So th there has to be a cost of entry uh, into the system where, where no one can basically just print bots for no cost. And one way you can do that is, is you tie it to a hardware wallet. So uh, you generate uh, the identity offline and you, you tie it to a hardware wallet. Uh, this way it's, it's not controlled by an entity you it's just like just like a hardware wallet manufacturer can access your uh your keys maybe ledger can now who knows but um uh, a trusted hardware wallet an open source hardware wallet uh, shouldn't be able to access your keys uh, in the same way that the hardware wallet manufacturer shouldn't be able to access your identity that you that you uh generate offline but it also brings the accountability of uh, okay, if you say dumb stuff on on Twitter or X now nowadays, um, if if you say dumb stuff, uh, the you can be deplatformed. Um, obviously, it's obviously deplatforming shouldn't be anything you do lightly. Like um, it, just just because someone says something you don't like isn't that that's not a reason to deplatform someone. But if someone does something truly illegal, okay, maybe then you, you don't want to at least push that content. But uh, it, that, that sort of brings accountability. Um, but then there's still a question, okay, a, a person could uh, generate or, or just purchase multiple hardware wallets and generate multiple identities. Okay, first of all, that becomes very expensive, uh, which is kind of what you want to do because you want to reduce the amount of bots. Um, at least you want to increase the cost of, of bots. But another thing you can do is is something. Some th this isn't a perfectly formed thought in my head. I'm just uh, I'm just shooting it out. But uh, I've been thinking about it for a while. Um, but you can do what 
uh, WorldCoin does, but you can do it in a decentralized and self-custodial manner. So you uh, you put um, a facial recognition sensor and a fingerprint sensor on the hardware wallets, and the hardware wallet uh, scans your face and scans your fingerprint and and generates a hash of of your your facial data and your fingerprint data. Uh, and in this way, you can just post the hash on on a network, and you can be sure that no one else that that this is like a unique unique person because it's a unique hash. And this way, the same person couldn't generate multiple identities because the hash is there, like his facial and fingerprint data is there. So you can't just you can't just generate multiple identities. But at the same time, it's it's self sovereign and it's self custodial because there's no there's no third party uh, that holds your your um, facial data mm. and, and your fingerprint data because you generated or, or you uh, you created offline on your own device that you own mm. and you just post a hash of it. Um, so that's yeah. I think this is this also goes into sort of the let's call it the Web five vision that like the people at um, TBD whatever the numbers are, I forget their username all the time. Um, and Jack Dorsey have, uh, the only issue there I have again is like, well, we're still trusting you. But, you know, um, if you actually take a look at it this way, this is, and I know a lot of Bitcoin Maxis are not going to hate me for saying this, but this is actually the idea Web3 people had going like, hey, instead of, you know, trusting these big tech people, um, we'll just trust consensus with MetaMask to like build a Web3 infrastructure. So the thought has been here for a long time, but it's it's actually pretty simple is what you're saying in in implementing a offline uh, part of that strategy and then still keeping it truly, truly ownable and also for people to be verifiable. Because the whole hashing thing, whether that be, you know, um, hashing and trying to really uh, guess the hashes in mining or also in this sense to um, privatize data in a sense, um, this has been long or around for like decades at this point, right? So it, it, it's actually not something new we have to come up with. It's just implementing the right things in one go. And And I'm guessing from having taken a look at your website, this is the hardware wallet device you guys are building, which is a um, which people are able to pre-order now to then also add it into multiple things in your life. For example, yes, maybe you have your spendable Bitcoin with you, a power bank for your phone, or even an event ticket to the next Bitcoin conference, right? Yeah, so, so the goal was always to implement multiple things to incentivize people to actually carry a hardware wallet around. Um, obviously, um, there's always a trade-off. Like the more software you build into it, the the bigger the attack surface grows. But um, well, let, let's look at uh, traditional hardware wallet manufacturers that have taken the shitcoin route. They have built a tremendous amount of additional software into uh, their hardware wallets just to accommodate the shitcoin people, right? Um, and they don't experience uh, any any uh, security vulnerabilities, really. I mean, there, there there are always talks of like, hey, this this hardware wallet is is, I don't know, according to some people, unsecure, and and this one is, but not not really. Like a hardware wallet is is an offline computer. It's it's not. Um, it's well, at least it's a lot more secure than an online computer. Nothing's ever going to be a hundred percent secure, 
but but it's always going to be a lot more secure than than an, an online co- computer. And I always, sorry to interrupt you real quickly there, I always love the comparisons when they go, mm, you know, they go through all of these things, like use an open source one, then you go into the whole thing like, I don't know, is the cold card license or the passport foundation device open source or not? You get over that hump. And then at the end, everyone is so paranoid that they go, oh, but actually you can't trust the hardware in itself. Because like, you know, who does the um, secure element and these things? And I kind of sit there sometimes and think, well, if you look at the world this way, you know, nothing is safe anyway. So like, fuck it. You can then use the most unsafe thing because then at least you go by, you know, um, um, sort of trying to eliminate the safest option and the least safe and sort of find something in the middle or whatever. Um, but always, it's always funny if I see this debate on Twitter, I kind of go, yeah, I get what you mean. But like, you know, guys, just take a chill pill because um, I don't think this is beneficial for everyone. But like, please carry on. Yeah. Uh, and just to, just to be clear, there's really no hardware wallet that's 100% open source. Open source is a term that gets thrown around a lot. It's, it's a marketing term, kind of like an air-gapped hardware wallet. So there are hardware wallet manufacturers that just use QR codes and they're referring to their hardware wallets as air-gapped. But if you look up air-gapped online, you go to the Wikipedia page, you can actually see that you can even have an air-gapped network. Right? Air-gapped just means it's not open to the public internet. Uh, but um, uh, yeah, so so to the open source part, even even stuff that you can build yourself, um, like uh, Seed Signer, even Seed Signer uses a Raspberry Pi, which uses um, a Broadcom chip that runs on ARM infrastructure, and ARM infrastructure is open source, uh, sorry, closed source. So there's there's really there there's really no device that's that's a hundred percent open source. Uh, what what we do want to do in the future, um, obviously this requires a lot of capital, but this is what we're planning on investing most of our capital into, um, is is to build a truly open source chip. I know Trezor has Trezor has started this uh, Tropical Square, I think it's called, which is a fantastic thing. I I, I love it, but um, the the problem is that um, that um, existing or or these kind of open source chips, they, they really lag behind in performance. So you, again, you kind of have the trade-off, like, do, do I have a device that's the same level of performance as a 30-year-old phone, which then again, no one is going to use because it's so bad? Or do I have a device that's the same performance as a smartphone five or 10 years ago um, that everyone will want to use because it's so smooth and, and good to use, but it's not a hundred percent open source. Like that's, that's the trade-off. And I think really to bring it to the masses, you need to, you need to take the latter approach, like just build a really good device that people want to use and then start working on towards completely open sourcing everything. Because I, I'm a firm believer in open source tech. Like I, our, our goal is to be hundred percent open source with everything, not just not just uh, the source code, not just the hardware, but the manufacturing process. Like my ultimate dream would be to have a, a manufacturing plant in every country where people can just walk in. People can just walk in and they can uh, they can assemble their own device right on the spot. Like you could just you can just walk in there. There are a bunch of all, all the components are there. You can take each individual component. There, are, there's are stuff that you can use to verify the components, like microscopes and stuff. You can verify that all the components are as they should be. You can solder them together yourself, or, or let a robot do that, whatever, and, and just 
completely transparent, like as transparent as you can possibly be. Uh, but that's that's far in the future. It's it's not possible today, uh, and it requires a lot uh, a lot of work and capital to build. But um, yeah, uh, so so back to back to what what our our sort of goal is like like why we want to incorporate a bunch of other features into it and, and why we don't think it's a problem. Like I said, the traditional hardware wallets have implemented what what does Ledger have like over five thousand shit coins. And well, ledgers don't get hacked. Uh, obviously, there are some phishing problems that are caused by the the data leaks that they've they've experienced. But um, um, at the same time, it doesn't really it doesn't really compromise security uh, to add extra tokens. Obviously, to a certain degree, but but not it's not detrimental to the security. So what our goal was is okay, let's not add five thousand shit coins. But let's add something useful. Like, okay, what do you carry around in your pockets every day? Okay, keys. You carry around keys. Maybe let's add like a smart key functionality. Instead of adding Polygon or or whatever shitcoin you want to add, let's let's add something useful, right? Let's add a, a, a key tag feature. Okay, you can use the hardware wallet to open up smart locks. You can use the hardware wallet to open up car doors. You can use the hardware wallets. Um, as a two-factor authentication device, like a YubiKey, you can use it to to log in to uh, to different accounts. Um, so just in general, bring more real-world, actual, useful stuff, and and not bring on a bunch of shit coins like that. That was the that was the goal. Obviously, power bank feature, charge your charge your stuff, and and our ultimate goal, or maybe not ultimate, but short-term goal, is to to incorporate something like earbuds uh, into devices that well like like what is th- this is just like a charging charging port like you just charge your earbuds there you can just make a similar charging dock for your earbuds in a hardware wallet that way you you kind of have like an offline hub offline hub for everything where it basically combines your keys earbuds wallet functionality id functionality uh, power bank into into kind of one one offline hub uh that would ultimately become the the only mobile device that we carry around sort of once our, our smartphones are up here that's that's kind of the it's very forward thinking of you and uh, you're obviously trying to sort of think about the utilization of of this um hardware wallet not only for you know safe storage of your uh bitcoin but also make it usable for everyday purposes and things like that particularly as we're sort of evolving into the future and becoming more reliant and dependent on technology if you can capitalize that you want to a, a winner for sure and um it seems like um you're you're doing quite significant work in, in that uh, e- ecosystem with with uh, hardware wallets and things like that and we should never really ever underestimate how important it is to take your bitcoin into self-custody because if it's sat on an exchange it's vulnerable it's actually not technically your bitcoin you might have bought it it displays up on the on the screen there on whatever exchange that you're using the amount that you've got but they can leverage that they can um rug pull you at any moment they can lock you out from withdrawing it so it's very important that we take self-custody of our bitcoin so if you're new into the bitcoin space you know you should really look into that and obviously definitely uh look into the products we've been talking um with samuel about here today but i want to sort of backtrack a little bit from something you said earlier about your generation samuel um about not um being inspired to do much um 
And I think that comes personally on the back of the fiat system and where it is um, in its timeline at the moment and things becoming um, inaccessible uh, for people of your generation. You know, housing used to be a lot cheaper. Now it's just become exponentially more expensive because it's been used as a store of value and it's been over leveraged. Um, the market is saturated uh, with, you know, uh, people that are holding on to this store of value. And and we're in a bit of an environment now where I feel that people are, are living for today. They're going out trying to sort of spend their money uh, while they've got it, uh, living life as the best they can, going out to restaurants, getting drunk in the bar and all that sort of stuff. And there is this kind of um, lack of um, drive to uh, really make change. And I think that's a lack of understanding um, how they can empower themselves through Bitcoin and make that change. What signal can we put out there for people of your generation and everyone else um, either side of your generation to sort of really actually get on to how significant Bitcoin is for them and uh, for humanity moving forward? Yeah, uh, that's, a, that's a great question. And, 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 and I thought I've been, I've been thinking a lot about it as well. <clears throat> I think Bitcoin currently is sort of a counter counterculture movement. Um, and there, there are a lot of counterculture movements going on right now, like, okay, Israel, Palestine, there are a lot of people, my generation, obviously, very supportive of Palestine. Um, and, and I'm not political in that sense. So I'm not gonna speak on, on uh, conflicts that I really don't know anything about. There are a lot, lot of things uh, like trans rights, gay rights, uh, stuff like this that that you could also call counterculture. Uh, but what what I think is 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 the problem is that people from my generation really get drawn into these, I would say, forever conflicts. Like these are conflicts we've been talking about literally since like the fifties, sixties, seventies. All of these. Um, and I think it's, it's easy for the establishment to kind of, uh, drum up this type of, um, uh, activity just by, um, just by existing basically. And, and I, I think people from my generation, young people in general, they, they always get dragged into that because, because they're, they're young, obviously they're passionate. They have a lot of energy. They, they want to do stuff for the world, uh, but usually they just get dragged into these like proxy conflicts, like basically a facades. You know, it's it's like a the, the establishment puts up a big facade, and, and people just gather around it and and kind of wanna uh, wanna show how angry they are and and wanna sort of you know discuss about the current thing. Uh, but I think what what people of my generation should really understand is that until we fix the money, which is the bedrock of our society, we really won't fix any of these other problems. Um, I think it's it's really uh, it's interesting to see how how people of of my generation are starting to wake up. Some of them are starting to wake up to uh, to the problem of of our current fiat monetary system. And I hope that more will, uh, because it's, uh, it's kind of like, um, you know, worrying about all these conflicts, obviously I understand they're, they're conflicts, people are dying. It's, it's not, it's not good. Like 
we shouldn't completely ignore them, right? That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is if the patient is dying of a heart attack, you don't want to start off by examining their teeth. And that's sort of how I'm how I see the world right now. And, and I can explain that a bit. Like our our world is collapsing because our economy is collapsing. Like our economy is broken, the money is broken. And obviously everything else is going to start to break because of that. But if you focus your energy on, on the consequences, you'll never be able to solve the root problem. And um, you kind of just live in this world of perpetual crisis, like constant new crises is because that's just the fiat world. And um, until we solve that, that root problem, which is uh, money printing, basically, uh, all these other other conflicts and uh, protests and and everything is just is for nothing basically. Bitcoin is um, a hugely difficult thing to to grasp, but a concept that is very abstract for a lot of people, and it takes a lot of work and time and patience uh, to sort of really sort of understand how significant it is um, and how important it is to get us out of this oppressive system, um, and you have a lot of people globally that are a lot lower down the hierarchy if you like and um are struggling day to day just to sort of get the next meal and things like that and you know trying to sort of find time to sit down with people like that to explain it to them is like no go away fuck off i'm too busy trying to work as hard as i can just to get this one meal i ain't got no time for all this and it's hard to sort of communicate um, the significance of things when you're living in chaos and um, you're living in a world where, you know, uh, you're living to minute to minute, if you like. Um, and I think as Bitcoiners, as as the Bitcoin ecosystem, and for me uh, particularly, I'm taking a lot of time at the moment because I've got the luxury of it because of where I live and my status in, in the world. I, I'm, I'm trying to sort of formulate um, ideas about how we can reach out to people, use different language if we have to, uh, for them to understand. Um, we, we say a lot in, in Bitcoin, meet people where they're at. Um, I think personally, we need to go a step further than that. It's not meeting people where they're at with where their hurdles are. It's more like, what is it that they see and, and how can we sort of um, communicate in a way that um, helps them work towards understanding Bitcoin for themselves because it's you know it's easy for me to tell them this is the answer, uh, but they need to discover that themselves. And if I can sort of give them the breadcrumbs for that, then then I think that's a, a good thing. I don't know if any of you got any thoughts about what I just said. I I would sign if that would be a bill. I would co-sign it because uh, even uh, I actually had this discussion today on the plane. <clears throat> With uh, a gentleman next to me, he, he he's a he was in his mid fifties, banker, you know. Uh, he he was quite a. Was he a gentleman? <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> he was wearing one of those, you know, very expensive suits. But like immediately when he um, realized that he was sitting next to me, you know, he sort of took off his jacket, throw it down. Um, we ended up talking, and then because in the during the flight, I was watching the um, Bitcoin for Millennials podcast, and I think he sort of uh, recognized the B in that logo. 
and he went like, oh, are you a Bitcoiner? And then, you know, I was like, oh, yeah, you know, I actually just been to El Salvador. I was pointing out my hat. I was, um, I'm not going to show my socks now, but I'm wearing the um, the uh, tennis socks with the Bitcoin B. And he went like, oh, my God, you're fully into it. And he went like, you know, as a, as a finance person, absolutely love Bitcoin. He immediately went for the digital gold option. But he went like, ah, but, you know, this holding it in self-custody thing, I just own GBTC. And I went like, oh, shit. Um, and on the other spectrum, and once the ETFs are approved, I'm just going to be in, in these ETFs all day, all time long, because like that's the safest place for me to work in. And part of me sat there thinking, should I do the um, oh, yeah, but, you know, self-custody has these and these advantages thing? Or for now, should I be happy that like a mid-50-year-old guy actually gets Bitcoin and you know is using it to his capabilities? And I think this sort of highlights between us three here, because I think, Samuel, are you just Gen Z with your range? Yes. Okay. So we're just like millennial, Gen Z, and um, whatever the fuck year this, Gen X. <laughs> I don't know. We still need to figure this one out. Yeah, I'm not a boomer. For, <laughs> no, don't, don't get that. But we need to right. figure out what your generation is called. We always forget this. Um, every one of us has their different struggles, and yet we still are able to see the big picture through Bitcoin. And um, yeah, I totally agree, Sam. So if more kids your age and also my age, because millennials suck as well with their finance and especially their understanding of money, if they would understand what is going on, I honestly think it could be two halvings that we could be in a hyper-Bitcoinized world because these two generations are going to be the big ones in the next couple of decades who are going to control wealth big important positions and you know potentially offices in politics as well um so you know if we can somehow bridge a gap there i think we're on we're on a good path i think so too but i also i also like this or i wouldn't say i particularly like it but i but i believe it to be true a quote from elon musk which is uh all people don't change their minds they just die which uh sounds kind of cruel but but sometimes that's that's just the way it is and and i think mm. when it comes to uh you know bitcoin etfs uh custody solutions i'm not against any of that like it's yep. i'm not i'm not against custodial solutions in any way and i i, I even think that which is this is very con, con, uh, contrary to many bitcoin maxis um and even though i would consider myself a bitcoin maximalist i would consider myself a sort of I want to say rational Bitcoin maximalist, where I, where I <laughs> kind of think like, okay, it's, it's, we're never going to be living in a world where every single person is doing self-custody. I don't, yeah. I don't even, honestly, even though I'm building self-custody tools, I don't even think we're going to live in a world where 20% of people do self-custody. Mm-hmm. But, but uh, there's obviously hope that we would, but mm. if I'm being honest, I don't think we will. Mm. So I think stuff like uh, ETFs is just, I think it's great personally, like, mm-hmm. because that's just going to get money from the traditional system flowing in. Obviously, I don't endorse anyone to buy an ETF. I would endorse people to buy Bitcoin and hold it in self-custody. But um, I also think it's it's a big uh, gap or, or, or a big chasm to cross uh, to get like a, an old person to, to hold mm-hmm. their own keys. Mm-hmm. My dad's 70 and he holds Bitcoin in self-custody. So I don't think it's impossible. What I'm saying is I, I just don't think it's... it's um, well, I, I don't think it's going to happen. Um, but but I think what is what is uh, it's it's important to make a differentiation between self custody and cold storage. 
mm. which is um, kind of what Ledger did with Ledger Recover. Mm-hmm. And this is where I go against uh, many Bitcoin maximalists. Uh, but I believe uh, something like Ledger Recover is a good service. Uh, is it a good service in the way Ledger provided it? Maybe not. Was it was it the best way to come out with it? Maybe not. Uh, was it the best time to come out with it? <laughs> it wasn't. Uh, maybe read your market a bit better. But um, at some point, people will want uh, custody solutions. And the options for custody solutions are, okay, FTX, Coinbase, mm-hmm. Binance, just basically a single person controlling that. Or, or it might be something like Ledger Recover where you... Mm. Uh, split up the seed into three different uh, server environments, and uh, yeah. But so so uh, I, I think I think obviously young people are are more uh, interested in self custody and, and are more uh, mm. capable of self custody. But I think I think the future is um, maybe something like collaborative custody. Yeah, partial self custody maybe. Uh, maybe uh, you split your seed into three. You give one to a lawyer, one to one you, one you put in a bank vault, and one you keep at your house. Yeah. You have it's two out of three uh, multisig uh, solution. Yeah, that, th- those are my thoughts. Yeah, and, and speaking of Elon Musk previously, have you guys thought of suing him for using your logo? Because <laughs> it is very similar to the X logo. <laughs> It is, yeah. We were kind of, uh, I don't know, we were both positively and negatively uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> impacted because obviously we think it's cool that he uses something similar. But um, yeah, uh, the, actually the, the whole name and, and logo uh, around Zellox is a, is a pretty cool story, I think. Because uh, uh, originally one of my co-founders came up uh, with the name in like, maybe 2000, what would I say, 2012, 2013. Mm. And it was on a video game you might know, which is called GTA. Mm-hmm. On, on GTA, you can uh, you can uh, start a company, like on, in the online version, you can start a company and you can do all, all kinds of crazy stuff. So he started a company and when he was like 10 years old, basically, he came up with the name Zellox um, for, his, for his GTA company. And he grew it into a really big company. He bought the biggest yachts <laughs> in the game. Uh, so when we were brainstorming ideas and he kept, he, he told it to me, I, I thought it was really cool. I thought it sounded cool. Uh, obviously, maybe a bit hard to pronounce, but mm. I think all Google, Google is not the easiest, you know, and it's still. So, um, so we went with the name and it was later that I discovered that actually uh, a company called Xerox exists. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they actually were the inventor or the true inventor of uh, the personal computer. Mm-hmm. And basically, Steve Jobs just stole it from them, uh, more mm-hmm. or less. Uh, so I thought it was a, a good parallel as well, because uh, like, I believe we're building a next generation offline computer. Um, nice. So I thought it was, it was a cool uh, coincidence. And then obviously, Elon stealing <laughs> our logo is another. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Fucking billionaires, eh? They steal everything. Um, yeah. <laughs> we um, like to end our um, or each of our episodes on a little challenge for our guests as well, which we call the uh, All Roads Lead Back to Bitcoin Challenge. And it's just as the saying goes, you know, usually on Twitter you read, you know, Bitcoin fixes this, fixes that, or um, actually, I don't know, this thought behind it, if you do this in this way, it actually 
ends up being um, something to do with Bitcoin. And we want to prove this. So we ask each of our guests a question um, or a word or a person, whatever, and they have to come up with Bitcoin in their own way. This can be something very personal to you. Um, this can be something like a funny quote you read online or even the most simple thing like, oh yeah, you can actually buy Bitcoin with this. Um, so are you ready for your word or your person today? Sure, let's go on. I'm not sure I understood it, but maybe uh, yeah, we'll see, I'll get we'll see. it once we move on. Yeah. So um, we thought about the word Charlie Munker or the person Charlie Munker. How can you relate this back to Bitcoin? Again, can be a quote, funny meme, whatever. Um, but I thought it would be cool because I've seen him on one of your product shots on your website. So I thought, yeah, that's a good fit to relate it back to Bitcoin. Sure. Okay. Let me try this. This might be a big, uh, a long way, but... Um, no worries. No worries. Actually, uh, my uncle uh, once said that um, that you should listen to old people when it comes to uh, general life adv advice, but you shouldn't listen to old people when it comes to specific new things. Something, something in that direction was what he said, and um, I really think it it you you can draw a parallel with with Charlie Munger because. Charlie Munger um, and Warren Buffett, uh, they have a famous uh, interview where they talk about uh, the problems with diversification. And they talk about not being diversified. And, and they said that um, something along the lines of that there have been multiple times when we've bet the entire farm on something, like the entire company, we've bet on a single thing because we thought it would be the next big thing and if we would have allocated less to it we would have made less money so there charlie munger is in favor of being all in but he's against bitcoin so just thinking back to my uncle's quote what i draw from that is okay the general life advice is to be all in but maybe what he's saying about bitcoin is wrong just maybe <laughs> Samuel, my friend, it's been a fascinating uh, rabbit hole journey with you. Thank you for spending your valuable finite time here at Rabbit Hole Stories with myself and Joelle. Um, I've certainly learned more, a little bit more about uh, hardware wallets and open source and air gaps and all that kind of stuff. Um, like I said, I'm not the most technically minded, but um, it's significant talking to people like yourself. And this is my personal journey, journey here at Rabbit Hole Stories because I get to speak to people like you and sort of learn as I, as I have these fascinating discussions with people. So I don't take that for granted. So thank you once again. Where can people find you um, if they want to reach out to you or if they want to look into whatever you're developing yeah thanks guys it's it's been a lot of fun um if people want to find us you can look up on x or twitter um at zelox wallet and on our website uh, zelox.io and my personal twitter I'm, I'm not really focused on that i'm focused on on the twitter of zelox but it's uh, at sao hicks s-a-o-h-i-x Perfect. I think we'll end it here. So take care enjoy the rest of your evening. And um, no doubt we'll link up again in the future because I'm sure there's other rabbit holes we can explore down the line. So take care, my friend. Thank you very much, guys. You too.